0: Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with me, your host, Frank Fleck. This episode is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging and I'm a little bit nervous about doing it. If you're a regular listener, you know that I'm not one to shy away from a difficult conversation. In fact, I have a bit of a reputation for saying it how I see it. So with that in mind, let's Kickoff. Now, the reason this is going to be a bit difficult is it's likely to jar with what you've heard from presenters and teachers and mentors previously. Because I think, on the whole, we as presenters, teachers, mentors, etc., do a pretty good job of motivating and encouraging our clients and listeners and audience to take action and be positive and and i think generally we are filled with with positive and i and i genuinely see that as part of my role is to infuse my clients and motivate my clients i can't remember a government change or a, a legislative change where i've sat down with my clients and gone oh this is terrible for us i'm always glass half full in terms of you know Opportunities for business, etc. So I think that's what we're good at. But sometimes, and I've seen it too often to ignore, sometimes that isn't helpful. And the reason I say that is because I've come across clients and prospective clients people who live in that world of optimism to the detriment of reality. And there's a bit of an overlap. And and where we don't help ourselves is by talking about dream charts and affirmations and willing things into existence. And, and I, I believe wholeheartedly in those. I'm massive about My mojo minutes. I really, really believe and subscribe to the concept of knowing where you're going, having clear goals, dreams, aspirations. I think incantations work and affirmations. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do any of these, but what I am saying is they on their own won't work. And the joke I sometimes tell when I'm on stage is if I stand in front of my mirror every morning and say, I own a Lamborghini I own a Lamborghini I own a Lamborghini and then I go downstairs and open my front door and it's there wow that doesn't happen I don't believe in that but of course if on the way to a meeting with someone you're filling your head with positivity and you're telling yourself what the outcome's going to be and you're getting yourself in the right energy state then of course that's going to help but the metaphor is you still have to book the meeting and you still have to find that prospect and you still have to write them a letter in advance and drop them a text and and follow a sales process. And that's where people miss out. That's where people live in that dream arena, I guess, is what I would call it. And they will Things into existence, or they try to will things into existence. It doesn't work on its own, I guess. All the positivity in the world is not going to help you be a world record holder in lifting weights. You're going to have to hit the gym for probably a decade or two in order to be strong enough. You're going to have to put in the hard yards. You're going to have to eat the right diet. You're going to have to work out for four, five, six hours a day. Jim Rohn says, major in the majors, don't major in the minors. And what he means by that is focus on the important stuff. Don't focus on the fluff. Don't make yourself a busy fool. Don't do the unimportant stuff before the important stuff. And it's interesting. There are these themes throughout the gurus of yesteryear, their teachings. Stephen Covey in Seven Habits talks about definite purpose and doing what needs to be done. How does this manifest itself? Well, I love being efficient with tax. I love looking at the tax rules and understanding them and structuring my business in such a way that I legally pay the minimum amount of tax in fact there's case law to say that that's our responsibility as business owners and entrepreneurs but I see people who haven't yet started their business focusing on their international tax strategy and that's just inappropriate it's a waste of time the hourly rate on that is zero because there's no tax to mitigate at this stage. What that person should be doing is focusing on getting money in. They should be focusing on getting profitable. And when they're profitable, then they can start looking at tax efficiencies. And so it's just a step too early. I guess I liken it to someone going on workshops about investing in property before they've got any money to invest in property and at a point where they can't even pay their living costs. That's inappropriate. That's too early in the journey. And sometimes people will say, well, I can do no money down investing. Yes, you can. But with zero money, how are you going to find the vendors? You have, you have to do some marketing to find the vendors. How are you gonna pay the legals? How are you gonna pay the stamp duty? A no money down deal can sometimes cost you a surprising amount of money. I did one recently where (laughs) it was no money down, but it's got a 50,000 pound refurb to do on it. (laughs) Well, that money isn't uh, no money down, that money needs to come from somewhere. And so, in fact, I was was sat with a a client recently, a new client who was asking about the priorities and, and, and I think that's what sparked this episode because I wrote down the priorities as I saw them for this client. And the way I wrote them down was I said health. Health comes before everything. Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you exercising? And are you looking after your brain? So those first three are the body and then the fourth one is your brain. And that's your tidal wave of positivity. That's your mojo minutes, etc. So first thing is health, mental and physical. Nothing comes above that. And then secondly, and I sometimes see this, I've I've seen clients before who are earning less than a thousand pounds a month in total with five, six, seven, eight businesses, like limited companies. Well, the administrative burden of five, six, seven, eight businesses is huge and is unnecessary. And it's almost like they want to be a serial entrepreneur before they've been an entrepreneur. They want to have an empire, but they haven't yet worked out how to run a simple business. And so simplifying things down and I've seen it where people have got multiple bank accounts and this happens both ways this happens where people haven't got enough money so if you've got 10 bank accounts and you take a 100 pounds out of all of them you've got a thousand pounds to spend but all your bank accounts haven't gone down by very much you can almost trick yourself that you've got more money than you've got. But equally, sometimes with my wealthier clients, they do the reverse, but the solution is the same. They have multiple bank accounts and they've got 15 grand here and 10 here and 20 here and 18 here. And actually, they've got 100 grand to invest, but they feel like they've only got you know a few tens of thousands because it's all so spread out and diverse. And so sometimes I tell them to take it out of all these places and put it in one bank account so that they can see precisely how much they've got and then they can invest with that amount. So it almost empowers them to have the confidence to go and do some investing. But in both cases, it's simplification. We live in very complicated worlds with credit cards and charge cards and bank accounts and loan accounts and offset mortgages. And it can get very, very complicated to know where you are at. And that simplification means that you can keep score It's really, really important to keep score on a monthly basis. To the extent that with my clients, we actually measure our wealth on a monthly basis on paper. And we track that on an ongoing basis because it's so important to know where you are. It's so important to keep score. If we didn't keep score in football or for our international friends, soccer, if we didn't keep score in football, then we'd still be kicking a ball around a park until it was dinner time. We wouldn't have Ronaldo and Messi and leagues and international leagues and World Cups. It just wouldn't exist. It's only by keeping score that things improve. So you have to know where you stand this month compared to last month. And then you know if things are improving or things are getting worse. If you've got three, four, five, six businesses and you don't have mastery of them, By the way, for that many businesses, you need a full-time FD pretty much to properly master them, to have cash flow forecasts for them, to have management accounts on a regular basis. And by regular, I'm talking about quarterly or monthly. So to have that level of financial mastery, it has to be simple until you get a team, until your team can manage it for you and you just manage your team. I've got a team of approximately 20 now. And we do have several businesses, but that's taken time to build up. It's taken time to get to that level. And it's also taken hundreds of clients to support that level of complexity. So we've talked about the first stage, health, mental and physical. We've talked about simplification so that you can keep score and get mastery. Then what I sat down with this client and prioritized was profitability. And it sounds obvious, But this is the bit that i see people shy away from the most because in order to be profitable you need cash flow you can have the prettiest filing system in the world you can have the best online social media presence you can have the best onboarding process but if you haven't got any clients paying you money, you haven't got a business. I can remember years ago, I was invited to do a talk by Nottingham Trent University. It was kind of a Dragon's Den kind of thing or for our American audience, Shark Tank kind of thing. What I did, uh, or what they did rather, is they had me up on stage. I did a presentation and then they had... It was their Entrepreneurs Club, which is funny because I think actually it was Nottingham Trent University and Nottingham University. Yeah, there were two the two universities. It was a collaborative event, and amazingly, their Innovation Lab from the University of Nottingham, which is where I went to university, had put on the event. And I used to go to that Innovation Lab in my third year of university. I used to go there and and basically practice being an entrepreneur and go to lectures and get one on one mentoring, etc. I loved it. I absolutely loved it, actually. These budding entrepreneurs, all of whom were students, came up on stage and pitched me their ideas, and I just coached them on it. The two that stand out, there are more than two, but the two that stand out were one guy had all these ideas. They were massive ideas and required huge capital investment, And I got the distinct impression that he was a dreamer. He was never actually going to do anything. Because if you need millions of pounds of investment before you can get a client, you never actually have to put yourself out there. Another guy came and uh, people going, wow, wow, you know, and I forget what the massive infrastructure projects were that he wanted to do, you know, really big businesses that required a lot of money to start. And he said, I've got this idea and I've got this idea and I've got this idea. And my advice to this guy was, well, just pick one of them and make it happen because at the moment you're not actually committed. And then this other guy came up and in contrast, he seemed much less successful and he spoke with less confidence and the audience clearly reacted in a different way and he said i i've got a cleaning business i go cleaning every uh, week and i've got three or four cleaners i think he said that work for me uh, and i want to grow it and you know people got went quiet because compared to everyone else it was quite a don't know what the word is blue collar business i guess very simple who aspires to have a cleaning business you know at university and i gave the guy a round of applause i said good on you Because you're the only person tonight who's stood up and who's already got a business. You're earning money. You've got clients. Now you can build it. And that is the step that loads of people miss when they're setting up their business they don't focus on earning money quickly enough and I've spoken about this on stage you have to pay the bills you have to have positive cash flow and it's almost uh, in fact my uncle said this to me when I was setting up in business when I set up my estate agency I was doing awful really really poorly and my uncle said I'd love to help you I'd love to give you a chunk of money to help you. You'll just burn through it. You've got to learn to scrimp and save and earn more than you're spending. And he was so right. And at the time I was like thinking to myself, I hadn't asked him for money. He was just mentoring me. He had an estate agency in the past and he knew how it worked or he knew how he'd worked it, I guess. And at the time I remember thinking to myself, I wouldn't have dreamt of saying it to my uncle, but I remember thinking, oh, but it'd be so much easier if you gave me some money <laughs> or if you made me a loan. But all that would have happened is I would he's absolutely right. I would have burnt through it and then I would have owed him some money and felt bad and not been in a position to repay it. That getting some clients who are paying you money is the most important thing. And in property, that means doing deals and having the money come in. There is no point, and I've seen this before, people dreaming, people looking at, they've never bought a buy to let and they've never owned a property and they're trying to do a multi-million pound flip of a commercial building. And they're like, oh, there's there's 500 grand in this for me when I flipped it. The likelihood of them doing that deal is so slim, so, so slim. But in the meantime, A, it's gonna take ages and B, the likelihood is like in, in the thousands you know, maybe one in 10,000 or one in a million that they're actually going to get the deal over the line because they don't have the experience, the confidence, the the track record, the reputation. And so it's easy to say, well, Jim Rohn says major in the majors, So this is a major deal. I'm majoring it. But it's not. That's pie in the sky. You have to cut your teeth at your comfort level and at your level. For me, when I came out of teaching, that was just earning, I used to charge 5%. (laughs) I was going to say bless me. But yeah, bless me because I was so naive. 5% of gross rent as a letting agent and gross rents are about 400 quid. (laughs) So I was earning 20 odd quid a month for managing a property. That's hilarious. But I was and I was so pleased when I hit 50 properties. Woohoo. So excited. I had no idea. But here's the thing. I learnt all my mistakes not all of them but lots of my mistakes of what were good properties and what were bad properties how hard a property was to sell through the estate agency how what a rubbish tenant looked like who wasn't going to pay and what a great tenant looked like who was going to improve the property I learned all of that on other people's money I learned all of that whilst earning five percent management and one percent Commission on selling a property. So I did actually start at the bottom. I did actually start with getting money in. I never got to the point where I was paying my bills, I admit that, but I did focus on having to pay my bills. And that's where sourcing investments came about. And that's where. I started flipping properties and then I started owning them and then I started keep and selling them on and then I started keeping some of them and that's how I built step by step and I think sometimes we talk about leverage. I talk about leverage loads and having a team but you can't start a business with no experience or a property portfolio with no experience and expect to delegate everything. I was talking to someone recently and They had a very positive experience of rent to SA. So renting a property and then doing service accommodation in it. Not a big fan of that strategy because you don't own the asset or control the asset permanently. And so the landlord can always take it away from you. But this deal of theirs earned them over a thousand pounds a month and they'd had it for three years and they just renewed it for a further three years. So that's a pretty good deal. That's gonna bring them in £72,000 over, above £72,000 over six years, well, you wouldn't mind a bunch of those bringing you in a grand a month or just over. Part of their strategy was to get more of these properties when and in in the specific town, which was quite a long way from where they lived. And so I was, they're asking my advice and I said, well, go get some more of these because that's the easiest way of you, you know, building cash flow. And then you can start actually buying properties with that cash flow, etc. And it was really interesting. I said, So how often are you gonna go to this town, this um this this location, and they said, well, I, I don't need to go there. I've got a really good team there. And I said, really? You've you've got people that will find you these deals. And they said, well, my agent, my managing agent, will go and look at these deals. I said, how much are you going to pay this person to this agent to look at these deals for you? Because I was thinking this is going to cost a fortune. You'd almost need a, an employed person up there. And uh, and they said, well, they won't charge us. And I said, okay. How many do you think you need to view to get a, a really good one that's going to make you over a grand a month? And they didn't know. And I said, "Well, I don't know either, because we've not done it yet. But they're not going to be all over the shop. You're going to have to kiss a a good few frogs. So I'm thinking maybe to do one deal a month, you might need to view forty, and you might need to go and see ten letting agents and." explain the model and explain you know how the one that you've got you've been doing all the maintenance on for three years you've been paying the rent for three years and so which of their landlords would like that would like a hassle-free tenant who gets paid every single month without fail doesn't have to do any chasing doesn't have any voids doesn't have any maintenance etc so i said you know that's that's 40 viewings and then 10 meetings with letting agents and then you've got to follow them all up i said is this person going to do all that for free and they said no and i said and is this person when they find one how do you know they're not just going to keep it for themselves if they're doing it for free they should keep it for themselves and are they going to do as good a job as you because you're the one with the three years experience of of this this deal and that is a common issue with inexperienced entrepreneurs they hear that you need team they hear that you need to leverage that you need to get others doing the £10 an hour tasks. But that's wrong. At the start, you have to do the £10 an hour tasks because there's not enough £10 to pay someone else to do them. And so you need to do it. And then when you've got enough cash flow and the clients paying you, then you can start delegating work to others. In You can bring people into your team or you can outsource. And in some instances, that even goes as far as lettings not using a letting agent if you if you are not covering your bills every month don't give 10% of the gross away 10% of the gross can be 50% of your cash flow 50% of your profit each month so that means you can add 50% to your bottom line by managing the property yourself that's a good way of learning about tenants that's a good way of making sure they pay on time no one cares about your cash flow as much as you do well no one should care about it as much as you do it should be on you The other area of property where I don't think I help people, if I'm honest, is I talk about diversity. I talk about the more diverse your portfolio, the safer it is. And so I see people who are just starting out and they're looking for single ASTs and they're looking for HMOs, and they're looking for control now, pay later properties, and they're looking for service accommodation, and they're looking, and they're looking, and they're looking. And the problem with all that is they don't know what they want. And when they're speaking to people, they're really unclear. And yes, I love how diverse my portfolio is. And yes, I am really grateful that I've spread my risk geographically demographically i've diversified across different property types etc i'm really pleased that i've done that but what people sometimes miss is i've done that over 16 years i've done that latterly when i first started investing i invested in one town one city i only did single asts in fact the one hmo i tried was rubbish (laughs) and i just got loads of those under my belt and i bought lumps of cash in by flipping properties that was it flipping and holding flipping and holding flipping and holding that was all i did all on second-hand properties in nottingham around the hundred thousand pound mark that's pretty niche and what it meant was i got really good at those properties i knew what good prices were i knew what bad prices were i knew what i could rent them for i knew what the Issues with them were, I knew what was great about them. I got good at something, and that's the equivalent of taking your finger and pushing it into the wall of plasticine. You get penetration, you get some movement, you get some results. What I see people do too often is they run at the plasticine wall and they throw themselves spread eagled. Well, the problem is when you go splat against the plasticine wall, you're trying to penetrate in so many different areas, you actually get nowhere you make a little dent. But you don't actually get any penetration, you don't actually get any movement, any momentum. So you don't get any results. And it's the same concept. It's people trying to accelerate before they're ready. It's like a a 5-year-old they've just learned to ride their bike, so you whack him in a car and go, go on then, Freddy. Have fun. Off you go, press this pedal. They're going to go and smash into a tree. I see people do that in business and in property all the time. And so what I'd encourage you to do is I'd encourage you to think about the level that you're actually at in your property journey, in your financial journey, in your wealth journey, and work out what the next step is. By all means, have the long-term goals, have the dreams, but work out objectively where you are right now today. And then... You can work out what the next step is. You can work out where you need to be in 90 days time, where you need to be in 12 months time, what you need to do today, tomorrow, next week, in order to move forward on that journey. And that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you learn to do what needs to be done. That's where you learn to focus on your most important tasks and profit generating activities. That's where you major in the majors. Guys, I hope this episode has challenged you. I hope it has encouraged you to really focus on what's important for you, not what makes you feel good, not what others tell you is possible. To focus on what's most important for you, whether it's getting the basics right, whether it's starting to sell, because that's hard. To get the cash flow, you have to make sales. And to make sales, you have to face rejection and experience rejection. And that's why people procrastinate. They put off actually starting, actually going out and offering on properties, actually putting marketing out there and offering 75% of market value. Because they're scared of people saying no. Do you know I can list on one hand the number of people that have been offended by my offers? Two spring to mind, only two out of the thousands of offers I've made people. One was a guy who I could hear was in the pub, he clearly had a few drinks and I phoned him back he'd phoned me already I phoned him back I said oh it sounds like uh, you're out would you like me to you know phone you at a more convenient time he said no it's fine so I went through my script conversation structure and he got very upset uh, he might have even sworn at me for making my offer and another one was um, actually a client a client of mine said I really want to offload this property and I said well if you wanted me to buy it, this is what I'd pay, and it really upset them that I was making a, <laughs> the same offer I'd make everyone else. And that's at that point, I vowed never to offer to buy property. Oh no, that's happened twice. I've offered to buy from two clients, actually two different clients, and both times they've they've been offended. To be fair, I've offered to other clients and I some I used to do it to say, well, if you want a sophisticated investor to buy that off you, this is what they're gonna pay. So that's the hit you're gonna take, because obviously if a sophisticated investor buys a property, then it's at a discount and it's no money down, etc. And I, I used to offer it as like a Well, that's always a backup. Yeah, it happened twice. I'm going back a few years now. It happened the first time and I thought, oh, maybe I didn't, you know, explain it very well. Or maybe they were just a bit touchy about it. But it happened a second time. um, And I just thought, oh, let's never do that again. Because I think it blurs the boundaries as well of, uh, you know, they're paying you for advice and then you are offering them a solution, but they're offended by the solution, which is interesting. It is interesting that that, that's the case because it is only an offer that can be declined. But um, I can only remember those three times ever where someone's been upset by my offer. But rejection, oh my goodness. Hundreds of times, thousands of times I've been rejected. Pretty good at rejection. Pretty good at eliciting rejection because you have to have people turn you down in order for you to have people say yes to you. And that's the bit that people miss often. Guys, until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated property investing. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now.